You're listening to a podcast from Oasis Church Waterloo. To find out more, visit oasiswaterloo.org. Hi, I'm Nathan Jones and I'm the Senior Minister at Oasis Church Waterloo. A few weeks ago, Steve Chalk and I recorded a podcast responding to some questions that we'd been asked during our Sunday Grill sermon series. There were so many questions that we ended up talking for a very long time. So even though we recorded this as one podcast, we thought we'd release it in three parts. So here's part three. Our third question, um, which uh, Dave Power answered, and again, the podcast's there, um, is, is Satan real? Again, a nice, easy one for, for Dave to, to answer. Um, but a number, again, a wide-ranging uh, list of questions here. Um, let's start with this one. Was Jesus's encounter with the devil just metaphorical? Well, I, I, what I would say about all of this is traditionally, when I was at theological college, I was taught that the devil was a real fallen angel. But, but part of that traditional evangelical um, uh, conservative teaching is that, but, that, that Satan is not omnipresent, were you told? Mm, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. You know, God is omnipresent. That means everywhere mm. you know but satan is not omnipresent mm. and then when i got to thinking about that i thought well then how come there's so much trouble in the world if satan can only be in one place at once Do you know? yeah and i had a similar conversation with people who you know satan is attacking me and i used to think wow eight billion people in the world and he's having to go at you Yeah, I was just um, uh, 
just looking at this verse uh, in Ephesians, for our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the powers of this dark world and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. And I think that's kind of where I've come to over the years. I'm less convinced by Satan as a, a literal reality, but I'm sadly, I'm more convinced about the reality of evil in our in our lives i think there's a similar conversation around hell isn't there that you know i the work that we do in waterloo we are in, in touch with a load of people across this community every day and i see some of them and i feel like every day is hell and so my task there is not to say to them pray this prayer and after you die everything will be okay but my every day for those people is to try and drag a bit more of the kingdom of God to Waterloo to lift them out of their hell day to day and I think it's that type of thing I think of I don't think of this horned red devil so much as I see sadly the processes of evil in in the world around us it's probably also um uh, I don't know whether Dave mentioned this but probably important to say that you know I think that there's no concept of Satan in the Old Testament, is there? Um, some people would say that, you know, Satan's in the first book. Uh, we know the traditional reading, don't we? That you know, the, the snake that tells Adam and Eve to eat the apple um, is Satan. But read the chapter again. Nowhere in the chapter does it say that. And the idea, you'll know more than this about this than me, Steve, but it's the, the Zoroastrians, isn't it? Which is the another religion which started just before Jesus, that that seems to be where the concept of Satan comes from. And because that was kind of just before Jesus's time, that's why there's no concept of it in the Old Testament. But we do hear um, stories about a devil in the New Testament. Yeah, and, the, and, the, and in the Old Testament, the stories about the fall, this fallen angel, Lucifer, etc. And everybody's cobbled the whole lot together. Mm -hmm. um, yeah, but I mean, what you say about that story in Genesis, that story as we're told of the fall it's the story of adam and eve and um uh, the tree of the knowledge of good and evil and a talking snake um yeah, yeah the scholarship agrees generally this story emerged even in a written form some 500 years because it was an oral story before even in a written form it emerged some 500 years before there was any real concept of 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 a Satan at at all. In, in actual fact, as I often say, uh, because um, the Jewish faith has been really good on uh, brilliant at recording the teachings of their scholars, their scribes, uh, their rabbis at a slightly later date, we have written in the Mishnah and the Talmud, which you can look up online what those are. These are the recorded, the, 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 the Mishnah was written just after Jesus' life, but it records the thinking and the teaching of scholars that went back before Jesus' life. And then, of course, today, all of the teaching of the great scholars and scribes and rabbis of Judaism are written down. So they're commentary on this text. And that's what the Mishnah and the Talmud is. It's a commentary on what we call the Old Testament, but the Hebrew Bible, as it really is. And there is no Jewish scholar in history before or since Jesus that ever believed 
that the story of Adam and Eve in the garden is the story of a universal fall into sin and the story of Satan tempting Eve and Adam. It just isn't there. That's not the way they, uh, they all interpret the story slightly differently, but with the same general thrust, and it's not that. Yeah, we run a, um, an introduction to the church and its theology course called Being Human, which I'm sure lots of the people who are part of the Waterloo Church who are listening to this will have done over the years. And, and we talked, don't we, about this story in that. And the thing that I've always taken from that Jewish explanation is that they say that the story is about the growing up of humanity, don't they? That it's the move from innocence into knowledge. And as they do this, Adam and Eve become aware of themselves in a new way, God says. How did you know that you're naked? And it, so it's about the growth of humanity to a place where we're tempted and we have to constantly make good or bad decisions. Now, And live with the consequences. That's it, it exactly. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Which seems a much better way of looking at yeah, it. Yeah, yeah. And it's the growth of humanity and the growth of each individual. And it's really interesting, but I'm probably getting a bit geekish here, but in lots of cultures, in fact, there's a remnant of this in, the, in, in one of the Old Testament books itself. There's a famous story called The Tree of Life that occurs in lots of different, uh, in, in, in lots of um, a, 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 a different civilizations. And the Tree of Life is all about the seeking of immortality you see if you can eat the fruit of the tree of life you live forever and if you read the story of adam and eve again it's a take on that story with a twist because it's always the twist where the point is and that happens a lot in the parables or the myths as they're sometimes called of the old testament Mm -hmm. and it happens a lot in the in the parables of jesus jesus some of Jesus' parables are stories that pre-existed and he tells the story that everyone knows and gives it a twist at the end to make his point. Well, the twist, um, the, 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 the twist in the story of Adam and Eve is a story that mentions right at the beginning, you check it out if people read it, it mentions the tree of life. It just mentions it, which was always the central tree because it's all about immortality and can you get the fruit of immortality? And then it moves on and it says there's another tree and it's the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. And then it focuses on that tree, not the tree of life and immortality. Mm. So it's saying we're moving the story on. Being human isn't about immortality. It's about morality. It's about choosing right and wrong and living with the consequence. And the consequence of choosing wrong uh, was that they ended up living east of Eden, not in Eden, mm, mm. but still made in the image of God, um, which is us all, isn't it? We're all a bit east of Eden, yeah. but God still loves us. Mm. The, for that story, the Satan, uh, so the snake, which mm. most, you know, lots of stories, lots of churches have, have defined as Satan, is... Um, it's about temptation, isn't it? That's mm. what that bit is about in that story. And there's a question here, which is a lot of the Satan themes seem to be about temptation. Is there any truth in this idea of Satan as a tempter? Um, is there any inherent evilness around temptation? What do you think about that? Well, I think I'd go back to the, the, the passage you quoted from Paul. You know, from Ephesians, we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against principalities and powers. Mm. Um, now, when did Paul write this? You know, he actually, when he was writing that, he was under house arrest. Mm. So there he is, he's scribbling away himself, and 
there's guards standing at his front door and he can't get out. He's held under house arrest. Now, if you're under house arrest in the Roman Empire, he must have been, you know, he might, his anger must have burned against those those soldiers who were barring his way and restricting his freedom and not allowing him to get on with the mission that he believed he had. And then he writes, in that very moment, probably even looking at these guys at the door, we wrestle not against flesh and blood. These guys aren't my enemy. They're just doing the job they're paid to do, Mm. doing it as well as they can. We wrestle against principalities and powers. These are the forces that are that are forces of evil that are at work everywhere. So you find, don't you, a bank is full of wonderful people, but the system stinks. Mm. You find that the council is full of wonderful people, but the housing uh, system leaves people out and leaves them with nothing. I think all the people that run the universal credit system, or don't you? Know, you know, they're, 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 they're civil servants who get up to go to work and they're good people. They probably, you know, give to Red Nose Day. And, 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 in other words, yeah. these are not evil people, are they? No. They're, they're lovely, kind people going to work to do a job. But the system, the system puts people into dirt the dirt the whole time we wrestle against principalities and powers i can't remember what question you asked whether i'm answering it or what it was about temptation yeah we the the head of tackling poverty for the department of work and pensions came to oasis waterloo a few weeks ago and sat down with rebecca who runs all of our advice center stuff and me and asked us loads of questions about what we do around benefits advice and death advice and immigration and housing and all of the other things and and we had probably an hour, maybe more than that, with this lady and with a bunch of civil servants, probably six or seven of them in, in the room. And we just said, well, this is why the system stinks. This is what doesn't work. This is the change that needs to be made. And individually, you can see every one of them nodding their head. Hmm. Yet, I, as lovely as they all were, don't have a lot of confidence that anything will change. No, because they that. don't have any power. Exactly. In the system. Yeah, yeah. Um, and the problem is with many systems is no one has power. I remember some years ago uh, when Ian Duncan Smith, who came up with that um, uh, universal credit system, as mm. you know, um, Ian Duncan Smith, people would be real mad with me saying this. I, I, he's a really nice guy, <laughs> and I invited him to speak. Um, at an event we did at the the church about poverty because he knows a lot about poverty. He cares deeply. He really does. Mm. He really cares deeply. And um, so he um, he was answering questions about poverty and he was talking about children who don't get love and attention, how they don't develop in the same way as as uh, uh, as other children uh, uh, are able to uh, come from more privileged environment um, and then I remember somebody asking him a question and they said they said well if all that's true why don't you do something about it yeah and his answer was this and everybody laughed at him for saying it he said what can I do I'm just a government minister and they all laughed mm. but I knew 
because my job is to talk with government ministers, you know, almost, well, every other day of my life, if not every day, I know. The point is no one's in control of the system. The system takes on a life of its own. And it, and it takes a huge amount of energy for a group of people who are committed to ask questions and bring that system system down. Yeah, yeah. The um, the question was around yeah, all of the themes about Satan are around temptation. Um, it makes me think of Paradise Lost, which is the poem, and that this is in the same way that you know um, Dante's Inferno is influences how we talk about hell. This really influences how we we talk about Satan, and part of the reason for that is that Satan is no longer seen as a figure of ridicule, but a prince. There's a line which says something like, better to reign in hell than serve in heaven or something along those lines. Anyway, I'm sure if I've misquoted that, someone will tell me off. But it's the thing about Satan becomes this figure of beauty. And so evil, as personified by the devil, comes not in an ugly form, but charmingly, um, subtly with beauty. And I think that that's, for me, the the bit about temptation that is still true, which is that what what Milton got right there is that evil still comes promising beauty, doesn't it? Money, fame, all of those things that tempt us. Yeah, which is gay. Yeah, absolutely. And I think I think that Paradise Lost it, it, it throws all the way back to the story of Adam and Eve because mm. it's the low hanging fruit that tempts them. It's fruit. Mm. It looks beautiful. They know what it tastes like. And it's available, and it's available now. Mm, Why do so many people cheat on their tax? Why do so many people cheat the returns in an election? Why do people cling to power? Because it's the low-hanging fruit. It's beautiful. But it betrays you Mm -hmm. because it's rotten. And I think that what Jesus was saying, to, to your point... Is don't choose. Well, of course, Jesus didn't use the word hell, as you know, I know you know. You know mm-hmm. He used the, the, the name Gehenna, for, which is the rubbish dump outside Jerusalem. Mm-hmm. It's a strange thing that we we should have kept Gehenna in because it's a name, but they but it was translated into Hades and hell, which scholars will all tell you is a mistake. You know mm-hmm. the the name of this place was Gehenna. And because it got translated into Hades and Hell, which was all to do with some of the Greek mythology, etc., etc., we've all got muddled up again. But Jesus was constantly saying, if you choose what you think is the low-hanging fruit, it's not, it's rotten, and you'll end up living in this rubbish dump called Gehenna. Mm-hmm. It's about life now, isn't it? It's yeah, about, you're yeah. living on a rubbish dump. And how many of us know that we're living on a rubbish dump mm, mm. because we bought the low-hanging fruit and it's left us hating ourselves. Mm, mm, mm. We've got a couple more questions to go. I think this is probably quite an important one. Some people say that depression is Satan inside of you. What do we think about that? I think, just to kick us off quickly, I think that there's a real risk, isn't there? And there has been throughout my church life anyway that we talk about everything from demon possession to this is Satan tempting me, all of that kind of stuff. When um, and and the outcome of that often, in my experience, has been that 
when people have medical depression, when people are down, instead of going to see a GP, they are told that if they pray more, if they pray harder, then everything will be okay. And so we've kind of cheated ourselves out of medical science and we haven't actually gone to the root of the problem and actually tried to fix that problem. All we've done is we've sat in a room and we've closed our eyes a bit tighter and then we've sunk further into depression when God hasn't answered that prayer. Um, I think we often talk about, when we talk about kind of pastoral care in church, there is an, an element, there's a, a level which is pastoral care, which is the stuff that you talk about with the ministers or you talk about with somebody that you trust within this congregation or this community. But there's also a level where we will say to people, what you need to do is to go and see your GP and get medical support with this. Because we've been really bad, I think probably across the whole country, but particularly in the church, uh, looking at depression and saying we can spiritualize our way out of this as opposed to treating it like we would if somebody walked up to you with a broken arm you would say go and see a doctor about that yeah absolutely so there are some illnesses um that you have that you don't no one thinks for a second about getting a medicine for do they mm. no one um at all if you've got a cut you put a plaster on it, et cetera, et cetera. But, but I think we are, I think we're in a, a good place around mental health in one way. I think we're in the middle of a mental health pandemic in another. Mm. And, and, but what, why do I say we're in a good place then? Because I think that we are learning about mental health and taking it seriously for the first time instead of pushing it away. I think, strangely, it's back to what you say about principalities and powers. And I think the system crushes people and the systems crush people and the prejudice of others crushes people and the bias of others, the discrimination that's at work. So this isn't Satan inside you. It's actually the principalities and powers of evil um, and wrong around a person that slowly teach them that they're, they're worthless, that they're shameful, that they have no purpose, that they've got no hope. So it's an external thing, isn't it? But that the way that that plays into who we are um, and impacts the way we think is massive. The, we talk about neuroscience a lot today. Mm. Um, neuroscience has only existed um, since you were an adult. No, <laughs> you know, yeah. Neuroscience began as a science in the late 1990s, just before the turn of the millennium. Mm. You know? mm. um, and, and it began for a simple reason. There was something called neurology before. But neuroscience began because somebody invented an MRI scanner. And you could, for the first time in history, look at a person's brain and you could see the impact that constantly being told that you were nothing, that you were worthless, that you didn't count, had on the way your brain actually forms, its actual shape. Mm -hmm. You could tell for the first time uh, what the lack of love, what what the the neglect and the abuse of being abandoned actually had on a way a person 
fault. So they'd interpret all these things and still talk about them as I'm carrying my demons from childhood. Mm. It's a figure of speech, isn't it? What you're actually carrying is the trauma that has impacted your brain's development. Mm. You can look through an MRI scanner now at the brain of a three-year-old who's been loved and cared for. There's no security. You know, um, the security of a primary caregiver who's always there and has got attention for them emotionally. And their brain, I don't know if you've seen these pictures, it looks like, um, it looks like a bit like, um, it looks like a cabbage, you know, <laughs> yeah. a big cabbage. But if you look at the brain of a three-year-old who's been neglected, passed from pillar to post, who no one's invested in, no one cuddles and reads to, their brain looks like a shriveled walnut. And it's because bits of the brain don't develop well. Mm-hmm. So, so, so I don't want to get too far down this. So, you know, you might pride yourself on being the kind of person who, you know, I, I was, you know, this person pushed in front of me on the, on the bus queue and, and I let them on in front of me. Aren't I good? Well, actually, you've had the privilege of developing um, a rounded brain. I mean, that is a, very unscientific way of saying it is mm. to do with the bits of your brain. And so your management centers in your brain tell you, I don't want, I won't hit him, I'll actually let him go past. Whereas somebody else hasn't had that privilege and they, they lash out because they can't regulate and then we say they're demonized. Yeah. Now actually yeah. they've lacked love. Mm. And we now know that as a scientific fact. Mm. Mm. Yeah. We've got one more. Um, which is a bit more personal, this one, I guess. If we feel the presence of evil, however we define that, in our lives, how do we fight against it? I think, I don't know what you say, my answer is community. Um, my answer is I fight against it by having friends that I'm... I'm that are close enough to me that I can be honest with, I can tell them what I feel, that that I can tell them what's going on without fear. Uh, I always say to people, that's what church is about. You know, it's mm. about a community. So people who rock up to church, you know, sing the songs and as I don't stay for the coffee, I just come to worship God, have missed the point of what a church is. You can worship God anywhere on your own, can't you, mm. um, through life. But it's about being known and being seen and being held in community and then having not everyone but a few, but I always say be careful who you tell. Yeah. Things. But it's having people that you can actually say these things to. You know the guy, my friend, who um who I said is 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 dying and, and wrote and said, Don't pray for me. Yeah. Mm, mm. Well, years, years and years ago, the same guy, he told me. That he was in a, he was he was in New York. He was in downtown New York, and he was he was he was in an area that was just full of strip bars in his young younger years, and and he said he knew he just couldn't cope, you know. So what he did, he went into a phone box, and he called because there were no mobile phones then, and he called one of his best friends in lived in New York. And he said, if I come out of this phone box before you get here, I'm going to end up 
um, sleeping with a prostitute. So get yourself down here. I'm standing in this phone box and I am not moving until you get here. And the thing about it is that's a true story. I know because I know him mm. and I know he would have actually done it. You see, because he wasn't afraid to admit that yeah. I'm, my life is all about temptation. Mm, mm. But he was smart enough to say, I'm going to stick with the good guys that I trust and I'm going to lock myself in this phone booth yeah, till he gets yeah, here. Yeah, and the openness there actually is what saves him, isn't it? That's yeah. the thing. That it, it's the fact that, and again, it's about being genuine in that community as well, isn't there? And like yeah. you said, not with everybody. It's got to be a few trusted people who you know have got your back. But it's not that idea of coming to church and whatever's gone on the Sunday morning before that, you then plaster a smile on and you say everything's okay as soon as you walk in through the door, is it? It's about being able to cultivate those relationships within that community where you can be genuine and you can be open about the struggles that you have and that I guess is how you can then fight against whatever this whatever the evil is in your life which again will look very different to every individual won't it so the struggles that you will have might be different to the struggles that I will have but we deal with it through community through the genuine relationships that we build in those spaces Steve that is I think nearly at least all of our questions. I have a lot of paper on my left-hand side where I've thrown the questions that we've dealt with and not that much on my right now. So I think we've kind of got there. Um, thanks. This has been fun. Yeah, it's been and great. we'll do it again. You're a wise man. <laughs> I might cut that bit out. Thanks for listening. We'll see you next week.